0: BLOB TALK RADIO Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) We're tonight's entertainment.
1: Look at my butt! Now look at
2: my front butt!
0: Open
1: the circuit to the wave motion gun Open the circuit. Let the pressure increases. All the ship's energy is now in the wave motion gun. I doubt anyone here would recognize Civic Virtue if it reached up and
2: bit you in the ass.
1: Oh, did I hurt your feelings. The Magneto's right. There's a war coming. You sure you're on the right side?
0: And welcome to the Cessploitation Conflagration You know I still hate you Nate After all this time For coming up with that title It looks good on paper But try and saying it out loud
1: <laughs> It was It was only supposed to be The name of our blog I didn't know it was going to turn into a podcast I didn't know you were going to have to say it out loud Every week <laughs> uh.
0: And one is us is a fa- writer for Horror Hound, a filmmaker, famous podcaster, uh, all-around man-about-town J.K.
2: You're killing me here. You're killing me. Susploitation. Confi- is that what you said, the Susploitation Configuration? Is that true? Conflaguration.
1: No. Oh, the my name God. Is the- no, no. the The name of the podcast is the Exploitation Conflagration. Stephen can oh. never pronounce it properly. <laughs>
2: well, neither can I. I'm from New Jersey, and you know I'm gonna fuck that up. You know that.
1: I, I'm from New Jersey, and I can I can say it. Come on. Man. Oh We're, my gosh. <laughs> no. There's, wow. There's...
2: We're in Jersey.
1: uh, uh I. I. Oh, holy cow. Alright, wait on wait a wait a second. I'm I'm just I'm just waking up from my nap. Uh okay. so I'm I'm not quite on, okay, on board grandpa. here.
0: Yeah.
2: Get the white shoes out.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, I do not have my shoes on. But um uh yeah. Where am I from? Highlands, New Jersey. Yes, Highlands, New Jersey. Highlands. Yeah. Very, yeah. cool. very
2: cool, very cool. Yeah, where cool. are you from? Me? I'm up north in Blairstown, New Jersey, where they shot Friday the 13th.
1: Cool, cool, yeah. Yeah. Right
2: on. Yeah, guys. Nice. Guys, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it so much. It, it's an honor to be here. Well,
1: yeah. thanks.
2: What,
0: what what is this thing that you're doing that you are needing a Help promotion with uh, the series that you're uh, doing with a? Is it with a school? Well, it, you know what, Steve, I'm glad you asked that
2: because, you know, I have been all, for the last decade. I've really been ingrained in horror. For anyone who reads Horror Hound or is listened to Horror Happens Radio or anything else in between, um, for me, it's been something that I've very been very passionate about. So Montclair Film in Montclair, New Jersey which is a huge hub uh, for film festival films, for a lot of artistic cinema, educational programs, community service. They have went out and they're expanding their virtual roster of classes and lectures and showcases. And they asked me to go ahead and jump on the beginning of 2021, starting, I believe, February 21st for about five Sundays in a row and basically have a discussion forum Sundays at 7 p.m. for Netflix horror. So basically those who join the class, and there's a fee for it, but they join the class, they'll be able to talk with the filmmakers and the creators behind it in a nice discussion forum for a good hour. So anyone who's a fan of of horror, of Netflix, of film festivals, it's really a great thing, and that's why I wanted to jump on with you guys because it's something that's out there and it's gaining a lot of traction and I wanted to succeed at Montclair Film because Montclair Film is such a great platform for it. And horror is such an incredible cinematic art form as we all can attest to. And this is an opportunity for people to jump on and talk with the directors, the actors, the people behind the camera about it. And anyone who's heard of Horror Happens Radio listening to the program knows the kind of conversation they're in for. Informative, you know, uh, clever and really out there to unwrap and scratch the surface and dig deep into a lot of these films. So it, it's coming up. It's Montclair film and uh, it's coming up the end of February. So it, it, it's, it's going to be a great time. It's going to be a really cool time for horror fans.
0: Oh, cool. Is there any tiles that you can drop that you're going to be uh, showing?
2: Absolutely. I can, I can give you at least one. I have a handful already okay. confirmed for it. Um, when it comes to it, one of the people I've followed for years, and I want him to be a part of Digging Into the Darkness, which is the title of the lecture series through Montclair Film, is Padraig Reynolds, who currently on Netflix has the film Dark Light, which was a huge festival hit, played Fright Fest among many other uh, film festivals in 2019. And of course, you know, Rights of Spring, the aspect of Open 24 Hours, which came out this past year, guys. You know, he's going to be one of the guests that are going to be a part of the series. Now, keep in mind something. When you commit to this, it's only five Sundays for one hour uh, starting at 7 p.m. East Coast time to register for. It runs only 75 bucks. That's 15 bucks a class to be able to talk with these filmmakers, to, to really get in depth with them and learn about the craft, learn what went into it, and be a part of it. And he's one of five of them that are going to be a part of it. And we have a couple other films we've already confirmed for with guests. And when you look at something like this, especially with Padraig guys, you know he is someone who, who, for the last 15 years, has made some of the most impressive, frightening, and definitely well constructed indie genre films that you're going to find. Starting off with Right of Spring, way back when I mean this guy is is a wealth of talent, he's very personable. his film Dark Light is currently on Netflix, and it's really an interesting take on a lot of different social issues um very female focused and a really unique monster that's a part of the film, so there's gonna be a lot to talk about during the hour as part of the series yeah,
0: cool
1: yeah, yeah. that sounds yeah, yeah, that sounds really neat, yeah kind of Thank funny you, for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it it's funny for me because uh Stephen and I uh as as friends, we've done a bunch of different podcasts together uh and and we've and we've written blogs together wow. and but uh but it's interesting because although we both are are real genre fans, it's kind of funny because we come at it from different sides because Right. in our everyday lives. Uh I'm a stand up comedian and no way. and he's a and he's a big horror fan. So like this is like the melding of our sensibilities, uh, where we both you know, we come together once a week and we talk about things that we both find uh fun and entertaining. And yeah, that yeah, that sounds like something that would be really cool. Sounds like what you're doing would yeah. be would be a really cool thing for for something like again like something like what Stephen and I would kind of
2: yeah, well, yeah. yeah. well you know and it's it's interesting you bring that up, and you know you see with your program the melding of your two styles and how well it works when it comes to discussion on a variety of different cinema genres, and that's what we're hoping with this new series of of digging into the darkness. Uh, through Montclair Film, is to be able to go ahead and really kind of meld and really kind of dig into these different projects. Because a lot of times the access that we're offering with this lecture series, you can't really find it in in a lot of the, the blogs. You can't really find it in a lot of the radio shows. You know, thanks to Zoom,
0: no. you know,
2: now you can come face-to-face when it's dealing with these kind of films and these kind of creators, face to face questions, you know, more than just the aspect of the screen and your face. You want to be able to go beyond it, and this is what we're offering with it—to dig deep into the cinematography, into the performance, what went into the preparation, the aspect of the score, the audio design. Where Padraig—I'll use Padraig yeah. as the example—where he came from when, you know, he created this story and the monster. Where did the idea come from for the initial headpiece of the monster? The only time I've ever seen access that's going to be like this is when you're face-to-face at film festivals or conventions. We want to be able to bring that to a Zoom platform talking about these works. And it's no disrespect whatsoever to, you know, podcasts and radio shows. I've done a radio show for almost 10 years now, you know, but this is something that is next level when it comes to it. And something that um, a variety of movie houses across the country are starting to pick up. And Montclair Film, which is one of the most well-respected in the entire country, is now offering this as part of their programming. So they see the value in it, guys, and they see the fact that this is an opportunity for those to register and join in to be able to get as as close as you can to these filmmakers um, when it comes to the actual virtual platform now.
0: Well, I have a term I use for that, and I call it narrow casting. And I've seen a lot of –
2: Podcasts
0: really yeah. hobble their sales and not make it long term just because of how narrow their scope is. Like right. I can remember a podcast about the Amicus that was nothing but the Amicus anthology films. I love the Amicus anthology films. <laughs> yes, but that's about yeah. twenty-five, exactly thirty episodes at least, at the most for right. you've exactly. done everything.
2: Yeah, <laughs> right. Montclair Film, why I'd only do five sessions of it, because A, they want to see how people are going to react to it. I mean, you know, Montclair Film and I, over the last couple years, we've gotten to know each other. They've seen what I've done with Horror Happens Radio with Horror Hound. And there is, you know, again, for those who follow the work that I do, you know the in-depth aspect when it comes to conversation on these films, how much research and prep is put into it. And with the filmmakers and the actors and the creators that are going to be a part of the series for the five sessions starting uh, Sunday, February 21st, guys, you're going to really have a lot of information that you won't get any results. You really won't. And that's coming from someone who's done over 1,800 interviews in the Time and Horror Happens radio. I've talked to so many people over the years in the deep, dark corners of horror, and this is something that I want to bring that kind of philosophy to the our virtual platform that's going to be digging into the darkness.
1: Cool. Yeah, i I really i I appreciate the um, you know the the atmosphere that we have now with right. uh, with podcasts and and blogs and everything. But I, you know, I'm I'm 48 years old, so I come from the whole era of like when you used to sit in your uh your bedroom and right you know ma- make a zine you know like i'd exactly. be
2: that- i'm 44 so i know how you feel Nate.
1: I-, I was that kid in my bedroom making a zine when i was in high school and going out and handing it out on the street corner like a drunk right. uh, <laughs> you know like yeah. some drunk friend being like hey have you seen this movie Oh yeah. Right well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or
0: the or the days when we would go out to the budget theaters and they'd be like, Triple feature, all three <laughs> showing, the Texas <Technic laughs> Chainsaw Massacre Two, Cobra. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you would have exactly. like three different films all together, you know, it was like a big eclectic <laughs> mess.
2: Yeah. yeah, very much so. And, I mean, Netflix offers a lot of different genre to pick from. I mean, there's new stuff always up there, and we felt that Netflix was a great platform for people to be able to watch those movies. Many people have a subscription already to, incorpor- to incorporate the actual people behind it in these hour-long sessions and to have that excitement. And, Nate, you're exactly right about the zine. I mean, I remember putting together websites when I was in, uh, it was in uh, a county college back 20-some-odd years ago. Talking about a variety of topics within horror, getting out there and doing it, and then, and even before that, making paper copies of it, going out there and getting it out to the people and wanting them to experience it. We want that excitement when it comes to this because this is something, no matter the age, you can be a part of. This is something where, and for anyone who's a filmmaker or just a fan or somewhere in between, you know, you're learning about the art of one of the most incredible and one of the most important cinema genres of all time in horror. How many filmmakers break into it? They break, a lot break into it because it really offers opportunities. And Padraig, again, for a great example, you know, starting back in 2011, right it Spring, he was someone who broke into the industry and has produced, I want to say, five films, maybe more, I don't have it in front of me, but he's produced a number of future films and is a wealth of knowledge. And he grew up in the same time that Nate, you and I grew up in Stephen you and I grew up in and that's what we want to see we want to see that that crossing of generations so we have fans yeah. that are our age older younger be a part of this and go ahead and experience the knowledge and the, and the excitement and everything that we went through and what we see now on all these uh, virtual platforms everything from Netflix to shutter to, to Amazon and so forth but especially Netflix because what they offer for a lot of independent horror
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah and for sure. Plus,
0: uh, back then well more yeah, more back then that they do it nowadays still, but not as much as when horror would be the sure that would help the medicine would go down. First age movie, <laughs> horror film. First film right. about, you know, racism. Guess what? Right. Horror. <laughs> right. Yeah, hey, You can talk about taboo subjects, but throw a little blood oh, on yeah. it and have, throw
2: in a monster. Right? Yeah, you can. right, And that's the great thing about horror. Horror allows these kind of topics and controversies and themes to be handled a lot easier. It it really is that, me- it's that sugar going down with the medicine. People are learning. People are experiencing. People are living vicariously through. And with a film like Dark Light, which is one of the films we're going to tackle, Uh, as part of uh, Digging into the Darkness, it's it's a film that really sits down and addresses a variety of relationship issues. It deals with the aspect of family problems, but it's wrapped up in a nice, gooey center of a monster and horrors that happen in the home and the aspect of really cool visual effects. So there's a lot to it that's all brought together for the viewer out there and then to discuss as part of the series that we're going to have through Montclair film.
1: Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah. and uh, way, if, if I may tell you
2: oh. real quick, it's not all, it's not all as we're talking about, there are some fun films that we're working on getting guests for as part of the five weeks. So it's not just all serious. Cause horror is more than just, you know, issues brought in on really terrifying uh, terrifying effects. It's going to be a lot of fun, too, because we want to make sure that there's a balance to it so that people, again, of all generations, all genders, um, all cultures and such, come to it and want to be a part of it and not only learn but enjoy the time they're learning, guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've seen horror comedies, horror action films, horror romance. (laughs) I can't think of a genre. That horror hasn't right. tackled, or can be perfectly melded into.
2: They they can be melded right. into, no, and yeah, then you-, you can
1: work you can work horror into anything. That's and that's what I right. was saying before is like, uh, you know, I'm a big horror fan, but I'm a stand up comedian, so right. of course, like if if, if we're talking about. Uh, you know, a movie, So okay, so let's just say Shaun of the Dead, you know? Right. Like, you know, I love stand-up comedy, I love horror, so a movie like that is, you know, a mint on my pillow when I get back to the hotel at night, you know? Um, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 I mean, go ahead. Yeah.
0: My favorite. we horror yeah. film of last year is one that I'm I'm still wondering why the hell is it on Shutter and not on Amazon and Netflix both and that's BFW. Yeah, BFW. BFW Yeah. Yeah Joe Joe's yeah. film.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, but I but had a chance to see it at yeah, fantastic stuff that, I it? that was a great thing. time.
0: That's an action film. <laughs>
2: Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's so versatile. Horror is so fluid, and it really does encompass so many different genres, or I should say subgenres of film. I mean, any film, any horror film, can tap into comedy, action, drama, on top of the more traditional horror tropes that go into it. And again, that's something that we're looking to address because you two guys come from different walks of life than I come from, and this is a, a discussion. Um, platform when it comes to digging into darkness you'll be able to ask answer ask questions and really dig into the stuff that were there beyond what i want to have a discussion with the filmmaker on or the actress on or the cinematographer on so that's the great thing about it because it's different insights personally as well as breaking into different subgenres of cinema so there's a lot there for people when it comes to and vfw is a great example um Stephen, of the aspect of a film that is really, you know, that fluid idea of horror because you've got, you know, the exploitation, you've got the horror, you've got the comedy, you've got the action, you've got the nostalgia in it. um, And it really was a very unexpected film uh, from Joe, from uh, Joe Bezos. so.
1: Yeah, yeah, we, uh, last week we did our uh, top, uh, our top 10 of 2020. uh, And that was, that was Steven's number one. And uh, I I do not disagree. It was not my number one from last year. Right. But I agree one hundred percent that uh, VFW was on my list. Uh, right. That movie that movie was amazing. Uh, yeah. It it brings all of the elements together of filmmaking. Uh, it, it just brings it all together to the point where you're just like, wow. This is what film making should be. If you know, yeah. if you're a film fan, this yeah, yeah, it has the horror, it has the comedy, it has it has the great uh the lighting, right. the you know, the behind the scenes, everything, you know, the direction, everything about it was just it, it was an amazing film. So, yeah. Uh, VFW, yeah, yeah.
0: really. The other film that
1: yeah,
2: came I'm out really. the same uh, time was good too, Bliss. Yes. I like Bliss a lot Bliss more reminds
0: than VFW. Me of an I'll be 80s
2: Yeah, it did very much so. It's so artistic, it's so intense, it's gritty, it's grimy, it's surreal. It's very different from VFW, yet they still fall under the same umbrella. Because Joe has a particular style and a particular a particular sense about where he likes, what he wants to do. I mean, his partnership with Josh on the edit and as a producer and as a contributor. I mean, there's a lot of great things that Josh brings to this and Joe brings to this. And for me, I'm a bigger fan of Bliss than I am of VFW because I enjoy more of that artistic, gritty, and grimy horror than I do more of the nostalgic throwback horror.
0: I would have probably enjoyed Bliss more if I had just rewatched the uh, uh, Able Vampire film right before I seen it.
2: Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense with it. You know, it's it's very hard to be prepared for Bliss, especially that final sequence when when she just when it, all hell just breaks down. that culmination to the insanity and the explosion. I mean, it's a tremendous. Tremendous independent genre film.
0: Yeah. And war when you get to say get a vampire, throw a copy at Naked Lunch and when a girl says, How do I learn to be a vampire? And, he, and the Crystal walking through a copy of uh, Naked Lunch, you should read this, so will teach you the universe.
2: Right. 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 <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, um I know this is gonna go this is this is gonna go down hard, but uh I've mentioned this many times on the podcast before. I do not care for vampire movies, so you two can continue talking about it while the adults be <laughs> you what? What we're talking about what
0: it
2: stays away from the viewers. You know, I have to I have to agree with Steven, Nate, and I don't understand why. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not the biggest fan of vampire films myself, but Bliss is really a unique vision. I mean, let's be honest about this, and I know Joe has talked about this. I mean he was he was high as fuck directing this and creating this. This is the the, the lead female character is Joe and the, all the different stresses he's gone through in his years out in Los Angeles. He's talked about this at a variety of different film festivals, so this isn't any secret or anything. And the last time I saw him talking about it, I believe, it was Overlook a couple of years ago um, down in New Orleans. But, it's, you know, you have to look at the vampire subgenre as more than, than sparkles and prettiness. I mean, that's how it's really kind of mutated into. And it's not a bad thing because that's the way that trends of horror are going. But I, I don't hate the vampire subgenre, but it's not my favorite when it comes to it. I'm more about the realism, the realistic horror, things that really happen. And not necessarily true crime, but stuff that is off of – oops, sorry about that – stuff that's based off of real events. The Strangers comes to mind. I love The Strangers. I love more of the reality horror than more of the fantastical stuff. Oh,
0: yeah. Man you know, Behind yeah. the Sun, uh, Henry Porter, the serial killer guy. Yeah, well, you yeah. know what to a certain extent, yeah.
1: Yeah, you're right. You know, uh when you when you put it like that, Stephen, uh I do and uh, I I do uh see it in that light and uh yeah, Jay, you're right. I I do I don't I'm not saying that I dismiss all um right. vampire movies. Uh of course, I'm not going to dismiss all vampire movies. It's just um, I I guess I I do nowadays. I kind of look at when I see a vampire movie coming out. I just kind of shy away immediately because. And you're right, Jay. Like you mentioned, uh, I I all I can think is Twilight. I'm like, yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, don't forget what. I mean
0: the fifties, yeah, but the eighties we had just such a lot of vampire films on uh video. Right. On the big screen.
1: Yeah, well but that was an era fun- where that
2: could be done though. Yeah. The the funny
1: thing the funny thing is, guys our age kinda toss off vampire movies because they're fruity uh, in the in the light of uh, in the light of the Twilight series, but at the same time, we all like the Lost Boys, right? And uh, no, I'm, no, I'm not a fan of the Lost Boys. I'm sorry, I'm not uh, a fan of the Lost Boys. Okay.
0: Well, if I have <laughs> a choice between broody California vampires or mean, nasty, greedy Texas vampires. Right <laughs> I'll I go with the, the mean, greedy, nasty Texas. I'll go
2: with Fright Night. Uh, How about in between with Fright Night? <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. okay. Near Dark.
1: Near Dark. Uh, Near
2: Dark not... is a great film, though.
1: Yes. Near Dark, for sure. But you, <laughs> MF can't tell me that you didn't like Lost Boys when you were young. Like, no, you're, I you're, no, I, I, you
2: I didn't. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. Nate, I'll tell you something. If anyone knows me, I am more about the new horror filmmakers, the filmmakers of the last 15 years. Everyone is all about the traditional. I'm not really about the traditional. I have some favorites, no doubt, and I really love especially being up in Blairstown dealing with Friday the 13th and stuff like that. But I was not a fan of The Lost Boys. That's one of the films I never really got into. I I, I never understood the attraction to it. But people love it, and that's their right to love it. I'm just not a fan of it.
1: I'm not really a big fan either. I'm just saying that when I was a kid, it seemed like a really cool movie to me. So I can see how sure, how absolutely how Twilight sure. became such a big hit. Uh, you know, yeah. I like, said, yeah. we need gateway war
0: films, like well, in the term of gateway drugs,
1: because
0: the gateway war films lead them into the harder stuff and create the next generation. Well, oh, for, sure. Doubt. Are you like, me for sure. I like all the fans who hate scream, I'm like, no. If it wasn't for scream, we wouldn't have had this generation of horror fans.
2: Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And someone who comes from Blairstown, New Jersey, with Friday the 13th, I mean, mm-hmm. you look at that, and you look at Halloween, and You know, you look at a handful of the slashers of of the late 70s into the early part to mid part of the 80s. You know, it's really a doorway for a lot of fans. It really is that gateway. But then you look at something like Mr. Boogity. I mean, Disney Plus is out there, and they did a whole thing for their Halloween uh, during the month of October as part of Disney Plus. And something like Mr. Boogity with the supernatural aspect, even though it's a family film, was really a gateway for me uh, when it came to it. The, the, I don't know the exact year, but Fear with Ali Sheedy. That was a gateway one for me when it came to the aspect of serial killers. But guys, I started off very young with Faces of Death. When, when the parents were around, we popping in those films you shouldn't watch. I started off with that. That's one of the first films I can remember watching. So, you know, it's, it's different gateways for different people in the genre and fans of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um I talk about this all the time on our podcast. Um Right. My parents were very permissive when we were children. They would let us right. watch whatever movies we wanted, let us read oh, whatever awesome. books we wanted, and um, That's awesome. Yeah, so I I remember seeing like Last House on the Left and Solo right. when when I was when I was like 8 years old. Probably you, Way earlier in my life than I should have ever been experiencing. Exactly. You know, exactly. experienced exactly exactly those things, but you know it it helped shape me as the person that I am now, as far as uh my interest in film, but like I said, it's kind of funny i uh, I mentioned earlier, I kind of leaned off now I'm a stand up comedian, but right. I'm a huge fan of like horror and exploitation films, but uh. Some some of my uh, some of my mentality is definitely formed by the fact that yeah I saw you know Cujo when I was like seven years old you know like I don't know know what? if well
2: you know one of the things I will say though Nate about that is and this goes back to Stephen King during the um, the mini series uh, you know stretch that they had with a lot of these films there was a lot of Stephen King back then with the miniseries that really influenced me. And, and, you know, I'm not a big fan of the re, you know, the remake of it, both parts. I think part two is way better than part one, but you know, the 95 Tim Curry character is paying lies, and that miniseries I think is far and away superior. Why? Because when you deal with something like that, especially for me as a horror fan at a younger age, you know, it was on TV, it was right in front of me, and I was able to be there with my family to watch it. And that's one of the things that I, you know, when it came to doing this series, Digging Into the Darkness for Montclair Film, I wanted to make sure, even though the films we're going to be looking at are over seven, you know, we recommend, you know, age 17 and over, you know, a lot of these films are out there on Netflix now. You have a subscription, just like it was in the 90s when it came to these miniseries with the heart, and anyone really can sit down and watch these films and be a part of this discussion, you know, registering for it. You know, this is something. This is a great time, Nate and Steven, for horror fans. Uh, no matter what you're doing, yeah. you know, you get all this content out there now, and all these different websites and platforms and streaming and uh, streaming uh, uh, avenues. I, it's absolutely incredible now, and it's really kind of harkens back to when we were kids, just more on a virtual platform now. And that's something with when I thought about working with Moncore Film. I really wanted to embrace with the films that were on Netflix because I want that younger generation to learn more about it. Maybe you have a filmmaker in, in the process. Maybe you have a journalist in the process. Maybe you have a podcast host in the process. Maybe you have a fan in the process, you know, that, that sees these films and gets to know these filmmakers and talent through, a, you know, something like Digging in Darkness, and they turn out to be us talking about it years later on a yeah. very, very talented podcast. So, it, you know, it's really amazing how it goes full circle when it comes to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's
0: what um, I miss about uh, not getting to go to the Knoxville Horror Film Fest. I always love the best part of it is getting to see stuff that I really wouldn't. If I just look at the trailers and stuff, I'd be like, eh, it looks like the same old thing. Like, exactly. Uh, the quote hitch killer. Right, right. Like, even we admitted that he stood up and not putting that in a primetime slot because he didn't expect it to be as good as it was.
2: Yeah, exactly right. Well, you know what? One thing I learned this year more than any other year, Stephen, was that IFC Midnight, for anyone who's listening and wants to watch some of the great genre films of today, with majority being the new filmmaking minds, both both, uh, female and male, that are coming up. Go to IFC Midnight because IFC Midnight far and away blew the doors off of any other platform this year when it came to quality horror storytelling. And again, horror is very fluid, but IFC Midnight blew the doors off. Of it. And the Clove Hitch Killer is another example because that's an IFC Midnight title. And it's incredible because it's so unexpected, Stephen. And I, I think we both can agree with that. But the Knoxville Horror lineup was amazing that year. And I was lucky enough to be in the features jury. And I know a lot of people hated the Field Guide to Evil through Alamo, through Draft House Films. I loved it because except for maybe one short, I thought it was a great combination of, of global horror storytelling that really encompassed a lot of different stuff we had never seen before. So I was yeah. all on board with it. And Knoxville, I, I can thank William enough for putting together that lineup, and I only wish I could have been back there in 2019.
0: Yeah, it's just sad how he's always scared for the festival. He's like, people won't like it. People won't like it. I'm like, oh, hush, they always do. Well,
2: oh, it's a business, man. It's a business, just like us. If we didn't work our jobs and we didn't end up going out there and making money, would we be able to do this as well as we do? No, probably yeah. not. I'm Same talking about festival. on
0: the day of the festival when people have already bought their tickets. You know. Right.
2: Yeah, well, people are tricky like that, dude. You you know, and yeah. Williams always going to worry about that, just like any other festival programmer is going to worry about that.
0: I think the best one I seen with a full audience, yay, was uh, Crouse Four, what? and I went to it to watch the audience, not the movie, because I'd already seen the movie.
2: <laughs> you know what? That's a that's a good one, dude. And you know what? That's the best, because i there are some films over the years I've seen so many times because you know going to a lot of festivals I mean at one point, I was averaging about twenty plus festivals a year, and I was very lucky yeah. and very blessed to do that but but one of the for me, it ended up that Train the Basan at Fantasia was the one for me. It was the best experience I've ever had in a full house screening and then when I went to see it again in Toronto. At a, a Toronto After Dark, like, three or four months later, I actually watched the crowd. And, Stephen, that's the best when you've seen it and you watch the crowd for all the reactions. That's just the best when they do that.
0: Yeah. Ooh. And that, people, that, know, that, it really definitely really is. the best part about, if you have a festival close to you and anything, it's just it's the Yeah. Here. Yeah.
2: I love it, man. I love it. Nate, what about you?
1: Yeah, I no, I, I I think it's great. Uh Yeah. I like I will go to a festival and intentionally go to a film that I've already seen just right. to watch the audience. Uh I will go and and we all know when you go to a a festival you'll stand in line for a long time to see a movie or see a, a a panel but i will go and stand in line to see a movie that i know is awesome just right. so i can see how the audience reacts to it you know especially if you know you know when we're talking about horror films anyway so when you know a movie's going to get like um let me give you an example. Like The Invitation. You guys have both seen The Invitation, right? Like, now that's a movie right. where that has a great twist ending,
2: you know? Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, fuck you, Sixth Sense. Fuck you, <laughs> usual suspects. Yeah, yeah.
2: Did you guys see yeah. one BR yet? Did you see yeah. one BR yet on Netflix?
1: I did. I did. Yes, I actually, that's funny you mention that. I just watched that for the first time I, yesterday.
2: It's a chip yeah. off the invitation block, man. It's a chip off the invitation block, and it's such a good film. And, you know, I'm not going to say it, but y- y- you never know. Maybe that might be one of the screenings and one of the filmmakers that joins us for Digging Into the yeah. Darkness. So you don't know. You don't that, know, that, you know. But that, it's so interesting you guys bring it up because I, I saw – The Invitation at the Ithaca Fantastic in Ithaca, New York, and that same, and I'm pretty sure, it may be the year after, but I'm pretty sure it was the same weekend, they had Audition playing as part of Shudder's Body Horror Retrospective, and I went into that seeing it so many times. I'm a huge fan of Miki uh, Miki and his work, especially Audition, and I watched the audience with people who have never seen it before, and man, was it a joy to watch people squirm. Oh my god, it was so good.
1: (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah, you... you yeah.
0: What you I love about it is the first time you watch Audition, you feel sorry for that guy. Oh, he's just oh, trying you to do. get lonely. And then the second time you watch it, you're like, this guy is an asshole. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is.
2: Yeah, well, you yeah. know what? It's more than just the initial aspect of him, you know, taking on his friend's idea, the producer's idea to be able to set up, you know, that casting, because you know, everyone just about can even, can understand that we reach a point in our lives where we feel like that, where we feel like things just aren't ever going to be right, and there's this, this, this you know, sadness that reigns over us for however long it is, and then when an idea like that comes along, you're like, well, who could it hurt? And then you get that karma that just deserts with what Asami turns out to be, and it's it's terrifying, and it's and it's honest, and it's brutal, and it's disturbing. I mean, it's just amazing. Audition yeah. is one of my top ten all-time favorite films. I love it. Uh,
0: yeah, my I, best the crowd watch with a fan was uh, the 1980s uh, Maniac.
2: Ma- oh, that moment, oh, yeah, yeah. when you yeah. see, it's about five
0: minutes in when they actually show
2: Joe Spinelli's
0: apartment talking.
2: I know. All you feel the, so sad for the all character. All the air
0: rushing out of the first time where you had to see them, They're like, hee, hee. Oh. Splash your yeah. film. better. And then Joe start to spin. They're like,
2: oh. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Nate, were you going to say something? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off.
1: No, no. Yeah. No. Uh, no. We Well, we're just talking about, like, movies with, like, crazy twists. Um, uh, right. Yeah. Um. W- one that I always think uh, going along with the thread that we're talking about right now. Uh. Yeah. Audition. Obviously, great one. Um. Combat shock is one where you yes. just feel so sad for the character the entire time, and then at the end right. you're like, "Well, that guy's a fucking dick." <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> when He's I like, seen well, uh,
0: Combat place. Shock All I seen was the box It was in the action films I just seen the box and I'm like Ooh, it's Trollman, it's got some guy with a machine gun
1: Cool Yeah, exactly yeah. right, <laughs> right. You, you do not expect The ending that, that Comes, you're just like Ah, Yeah, this guy, alright G.I. Joe, sweet You know, again <laughs>
0: Yeah and then you well, get back and to the
2: that's why I crap, yeah, <laughs> well, you we talked about One b r which is on Netflix, and the aspect of the characters that revolve around that story, and I don't want to give away too much because you know that's part of the wonderful aspect of one br is how you feel about those characters from the start of the film to the end of the film, and any you know horror especially, is a great character study of really gray area characters, really jaded characters. Because a villain is, the only difference between a hero and villain is what they believe in. You know, the villain believes they're doing right. And and it's twisted, and it can be sick, and it can be emotional, but it's just the flip of the coin to what the hero believes and that he's doing right and, and what it all entails. And something like yeah. Oldboy, Old boy's a great example of that. You know, the the, the, yeah. the way that character goes through You know, Choi Min-sik, you know, the way he embodies that character is just incredible because he goes through such an emotional range, and the way he presents it to you on the screen with Park's work is amazing. And that's why, you know, Korean cinema, Japanese cinema is so confronting when it comes to it because these characters are so raw and so impactful, and it's put against a stylish canvas, and a lot of the independent cinema here in the States can never replicate what they're able to do with it but you occasionally get a film like the no. 1DR or The Invitation where these characters are so compelling and they're sitting in the gray area and you just don't know what they're going to do and you're on that ride and you're willing to invest. And that's the great thing about this. But Volition. There is a movie, uh, Tony Dean, um, Volition was my number one film this year, guys, and it's, I believe it just hit in 2020 on VOD. Talk about a character that is in that gray area that is scummy and makes all the wrong choices, but yet you're willing to invest in him because of where he came from, what he's had to go through, the burden and responsibility he's had to have put on him, and that's a great film when it comes to those kind of gray area characters. That I highly recommend Volition.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that, and I, I i would I would also add to uh, sure. there's two two different sides to this conversation but i would say um you're kind of talking about like the the kind of like bad like bad lieutenant like kind of right. thing where you see a character who is really tortured but is is seeking retribution right
2: right Exactly.
1: right that's what i'm getting at with that but um yeah. But the other movie that I would add to your list is Get Out. Uh oh, very much so. Yes. Get out, yeah, would would be a real it 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 doesn't fall in line with the whole uh characters seeking retribution and, and falling behind due to their own inability. Uh but yeah, but get out has that same kind of um the same kind of feel that I think you were trying to describe. I don't want to put words in your mouth. but yeah. I,
2: No, no, no. Yeah, You're I right think... about that. Characters that are in the gray area, characters that have been in the environment, that have changed who they are. Get Out, for so many reasons, is an amazing film. And it's definitely a film that needs multiple watchings to fully engage what Jordan Peele doing. And even his follow-up, Us, is another one that really, 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 you know, takes a lot of different screenings to fully immerse yourself in. These characters oh. who and, and their motivations on what they're doing and why they're doing it, it's it's yeah. tremendous. Well, it I tremendous, had to I, listen
0: to "We Are the World" again. No hands no. across America <laughs> because of us. So does it suck?
2: You no, know, it's such a.
0: I I am more of a fan of Us
2: than I am and of Get Out
0: for a variety of reasons
2: and. The aspect of how they connect that, how Jordan Peele connects that to the story and to the conflict and the central themes is absolutely incredible. And again, guys, I don't mean to jump in on this again, but that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this series of Montclair film with with Digging Into the Darkness. I wanted to be able to touch on stuff like this with the filmmakers, with the performers, with the crew to find out what their motivations are, why they're sitting there and doing this, coming right from the horse's mouth about their motivations. Why did they choose this, this particular beat in the narrative? Why didn't they go a different way? Why does this monster represent this? What are the themes we're addressing? You know, how does it affect the visual presentation of it? I want to be able to go into the minds of these creators like I've done for years with Horror Happens and Horror Hounds and more and really tap into it. And this is something you're, you're really not going to find anywhere else when it comes to it. And that, you know, it's montclairfilm.org, I believe is the website to to register for it. And they, you know, we're going to be listing the different movies, but something like Dark Light, which feels like a creature movie on the surface, is so much more underneath. If we do 1DR, it's so much more than just a female character going into an apartment complex and dealing with the isolation of being in Los Angeles. Because these films are very personal. I mean, Jordan Peele's work. With Get Out Us and what with, with the next project he's going to be releasing uh, in 2021, all personal. Every single one is personal for so many different reasons, and that's what makes horror so great, no matter what decade you look at, because it's personal to us as well as it's personal to them and in between.
0: I wish you would have kept the original ending to Get Out.
2: Oh, boy. Well, that's a great question. Steven, that's a great question to ask a lot of filmmakers. I've asked that before with the variety of guests I've had on Horror Happens is, you know, where the endings come from and, you know, why you choose a particular ending over others. So that's a great question.
0: I mean, it would have made it too black because it was before Black Lives Matter. Right. But just having the cop car show up and then fade out. It'd be like a right. black audience would know what's going to happen to him, but everyone else goes, like, "What
2: happened to him?" Exactly. And again, that goes through the different perspective of watching a movie like this. I mean, you know, Jordan Peele is one of the few filmmakers that understands that thin line between the laugh and the scream. He understands where that comes from. And I mean, you know, Black Lives Matters has been around for a long time, but. Never so prevalent as it's been recently when it comes, especially during the time of Jordan's work, when he's really established himself within the genre. And it's, it's an incredible uh, showcase and profile of characters and themes and very personal stories that Jordan is bringing to the screen when it comes to it. And having just a cop car, I think Stephen and Nate would be way too easy for audiences because it's exactly what you said. That's what they're expecting. Especially black audiences are expecting that they want. He wants to challenge. He wants to really get. He wants to dig every little bit of marrow you have in your bones out there as a part of that cinema experience. And that's what's great about horror. That's what Uh, again another reason why I want to do this series. I want to be able to get into it, and I want the filmmakers to talk about those emotions that come from it. Just like that. I wish Jordan would be a part. I would love that. uh,
0: Oh, let's sit down with him. You know, the hells in the hood, right?
2: Say, I'm sorry, Stephen, say again.
0: Tales from the Hood.
2: Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I actually um,
0: seen, is seen black that with earnest, an all-black um, uh, audience, Jay. And what, that one really? scene with the white guy was like, you, you, N-word, this, you, N-word, this. And the, uh, the whole audience yeah. was like, kill mother, kill that mother. And then all of a sudden, I like you. <laughs> You killed more, yeah. you killed more n words than I ever had. That whole well, audience there you go. could have heard a mouse pissing on cotton.
2: Wow, there you go. Wow, that's that's don't, that's a great, uh, you know, analogy. Huh.
1: Don't let him fool you, Jay. He says the n word all the time when you're not on the show.
2: Well, I'm I'm glad he's well, not saying why I am on the show, but he shouldn't say it at all.
0: Not really appropriate
2: when it comes to, but you know what? <laughs> well, when your I said it, last show. time I said
0: it was Anti Bellum, which is my worst film of last year because oh. I've watched oh, hey, and I like Fight for Your Life. I've watched well, and I like Fight for Your Life and Goodbye, Uncle Tom. And when you look at a right. movie and say that movie is more racist than those two, there's a problem. Right.
2: Well, you know what? All I'm going to say is, and this goes beyond uh, the aspect of Antebellum, is the idea that the way it was promoted was not the film that you saw on the screen, and that was synonymous uh, with reviews when it came to that film. And that's really a shame because you expect certain things, and if it wanted to be a dark drama and a purity piece, that's fine. Sell it as that. Don't sell it as a horror film because horror fans are the most critical you're going to find. They're the most informed, they're the most critical, and they're the most fun to be around because there are no other film festivals except for horror film festivals because guess what? Every other subgenre of cinema could never stand sitting through two, three, four, five, seven days of films. Only horror fans can.
0: And we've seen the plot done right. Yeah. yeah,
2: You know what? You know what, guys? It, It comes down to promotion. It comes down to the way the editor cuts it. And you know what? For a film like that, I had expected a lot. I came out exceptionally disappointed. For me, it's on my disappointment list of the year. I was talking with Alok uh, Mishra, who was a producer on 1BR, and we started to, to tap into our most disappointing films, and that's one of the ones for me that was on
0: there. <laughs> what are you doing? It just, seems so. like, it just seems like they wanted the exploitation, but have the ending where it's like, see... This is not a pro-right exploitation film. The black people get revenge. No.
2: Well, <laughs> uh-huh. I don't know what to tell you. No. I don't know what to tell you with it. <laughs> no. Yeah.
0: What, uh-huh. And I know what's interesting is me and Nate didn't have Possessor on our list either. It would have been in my top 20, maybe like 15 to 20, but it wouldn't have been in my top 10. It's just, I don't know.
2: Well, I'll tell you, I happen to agree with you. I think Antiviral was a much better film by Brendan Cronenberg. I was not a fan of it. I liked it. I think the third act saved it, and I watched it only once. I, I wanted to watch it more than, than once. You definitely need to watch that. But that's more of a sci-fi film rather than a horror film. You don't really get into the horror until, like, the third act of it. So it's another film that really is kind of poor promotion. It's really redirecting it in a place it shouldn't be where antiviral feels like a horror film the entire time from the visual aspect of it, from the, the lead actor's performance to the idea and themes and tropes of the horror. I mean, across the board, it feels like that, but I put possessor on my list, but guys, I did a top 41 because of, of 2020 plus one, and it ended up being tied for, for I think 40th. That's where it ended up for mine. So I ain't even it in my top 20. I, I had no wanting of that film whatsoever. And I put it in there because after watching and letting it sit with me, it actually kind of resonated a little bit more with me. But it just it just wasn't what I expected. So, we again, we go back to 2020, the year of the films that we are anything but what we expect.
0: Right,
1: right. Yeah, there was
0: a so, lot of good ones that came out this year. What do you think about this 824 awarding St. Agnes? That was on almost every horror film fan I know – Top five list
2: of what they wanted to see. Oh you, no, uh, you mean Saint Maud?
0: Yeah, Saint, Saint Agnes Maud. was
2: um, Darren Bowsman's film. No, no, it's okay. Or Saint Agnes was Darren Bowden. I I confused that several times, Stephen. So you're not the only one who did that. For me, I saw Saint Maud at Fantastic Fest two years ago. And I'll tell you something. You know they know what they've got. I have you guys seen Saint Maud?
1: No, I have not. No, I
2: okay. have not. A24 you is really intelligent for feet, holding man. it. Hey, they're really smart for holding it back because they have a gem in this film. I'll tell you something, guys. When you watch this film, it is an experience to go through. It visually, audio, the aspect of the performance of the lead actress playing Maude, um, it's really a film that they're waiting for that theatrical release. Just like the, like, synchronic, uh, they were waiting as long as they could through WellGo USA for Aaron uh, Morhan, Justin Benson's film, and they couldn't wait any longer. A24 is sitting back and saying, listen, we know we've got a diamond here. We know it's going to play well. We know it's going to be great. So I can't blame them one bit for waiting. For me, I got lucky enough to see it a couple of years ago, and I'll tell you what, it still sticks with me even a couple of years ago, if that's any indicator.
1: Yeah, a, uh, A24 cool. – a twenty four, they're they're just amazing. Like anytime I, I, anytime I click up anything on one of the streaming sites I have, and I see A twenty four come up, I'm like, yep, I'm gonna enjoy this. They, I, well, they're really,
2: they're really smart. That's why, and they're really smart in the the projects that they select. <laughs> but again, and this goes to my philosophy when it comes to doing. Horror discussion, horror conversation with radio or horror hounds. I want to focus on the new voices of horror. I want to be able. And I did an interview at South by Southwest with Alex Wood and um, um, Ari Aster. And what, what was the what was the girl's name from uh, from Hereditary? The one that, that made the clicking noise. Yes, Miley. <laughs> Shapiro, Miley We're sure, all three sure. of us are anyway.
1: making the clicking noise, but none of us can remember exactly her name. Exactly right. Yeah. Well, We'll represent
2: her name through the clicking noise. We'll do that. So when it came to that, you know, I would rather talk to the new filmmakers that are bringing out the incredible content like an Ari Aster or, you know, a variety of the the independent names rather than go with the more traditional. Why? Because labels like A24 and Neon and IFC Midnight, they are going out there and they're producing, creating, and distributing amazing horror titles out of their way to create thought-provoking, trend-setting, the aspect of visually arresting cinema. And because horror is so fluid, these studios, and especially A24, they understand that it's more than just effects and gore. And that's what horror has been a black eye for many years. That's only been effects and gore. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I love effects and gore. And I'm sure the people at A24 love effects and gore. But the problem is that We've moved into a different time, and I don't want to use the term elevated because I think that's a bad term, but we've moved into a time where the cycle of horror has changed. And a studio like an A24, a Neon, an IFC Midnight, just off the top of my head, those kind of studios are creating the next generation of cinema that not only fans will learn off of, but filmmakers will learn off of. And it'll open the door for filmmakers to really step forward, and that's why they're holding back St. Maud because St. Maud is one of those films that really goes out of its way to just get under your skin and take you on so many levels with the themes and narratives of this character and the, 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 the torture that she goes through. And I, I mean, I don't even want to say anymore because it's so arresting. I'll use that term again, but a 24 does that. And they know to find those stories, those writers, those directors who are going out there and making it and bringing them on board what? Who else is going to give Ari Aster, what, what was it, three-hour cut, three-and-a-half-hour cut of, of Midsommar? Come on. No one. <laughs> but A24 knows what it has, that's and that's the bottom line. That's
0: because most people have sense. Say that again? That's because most people have common sense.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, dude. I'll sit down and watch a three-hour cut of Midsommar any day of the week over a lot of other films. Because I'll tell you, that film is absolutely disturbing and it just destroys you because one of my favorite things, Stephen, is daytime horror. My new short, Within the Frame, which I'm submitting to festivals now, I'm hoping again it'll play uh, Knoxville. I'm going to submit it for a Film Freeway in Knoxville and hopefully gets accepted. It's all about daytime horror. It's all about the terrible things that happen right in front of you in your safe space. Safe spaces being violated is absolutely crucial and to see in Midsommar the open space, the light, the aspect of the, of just things that are so strange and bizarre, it's beautiful. And St. Maud, the aspect of, of this, the sanctity of religion and, and, you know, the person inside of you being violated. I mean, again, A24 at the forefront of creating these really incredible stories that take you to places that you won't experience anywhere else. And that's why, Nate, they are so smart in holding this back because they know – that It's going to, when it finally gets in the theaters, even if it's a limited run, it's going to really get inside people's heads. And it's definitely oh, something like this uh, tomorrow that people will be talking about for a while. Hey,
0: one of the, a good director, a great director will film the shot. A great director will have a full set to be like, we need someone to lay down in this empty air bullet And the great so, okay, I'll do
2: it. Stephen, you keep cutting in and out, my friend. You cut in and out. I, I can't hear you all the way, my friend.
0: Uh, the, it's the phone. It gets. It's probably when... But yeah, it's just the sheer fact that it was a nasty. You did the nastiest ass roll in there and you just jumped in. That's one way to make sure that no one in the set can complain, do you? There <laughs> you go. There you
1: go. Maybe,
2: <laughs> maybe, maybe.
0: <laughs> no, uh,
1: I I agree with you though, Jay. Like, um, there there are a lot of genres of horror and sci-fi that I've kind of given up on, and that's that's my bad. There are probably movies that I haven't seen that I should see, but um, Same with me, it, my friend. Same with me there's a lot of stuff that I just pass on, even if it's by a director that I enjoy or a writer. And uh, you were talking about this before about uh, all of the different aspects of making a movie. And, uh, you know, as a film fanatic, I do pay attention to sound design and costume design and, and lighting and all of that stuff. And so there are movies that I'll check out just on the basis of those, you know. Oh well, this guy, you know, that or this Absolutely. or this woman, or whatever. But um, I do agree with you one hundred percent on the fact that horror movies that take place during the day actually thrill me more now than any other horror movies. I want, exactly. I want to see, I want to see the horror in the in the light. I want to see the horror right. in the sunshine. It, it, it. you know, we've, we've crossed that bridge. Now we've seen enough Halloween's and nightmare on Elm streets and Friday the 13th. We've seen enough teens getting murdered at night. Like the, the daytime horror movies actually are more terrifying. Now I, I totally, I feel that way anyway. And yeah. Yeah. Just yes, or, you know, and,
0: uh, another great uh, uh, daytime is, yeah. one is uh,
2: is Alice, Sweet Alice, aka Communion. I want to say every day. No, entire film. movie has it.
0: It's supposed to daylight scene.
2: Yeah. 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 You're right. You're right. And you know what? Real quick, Nate, to go off of what you just said, and this goes back to why. Daytime horror is so, while we're in the cycle of daytime horror more than any time ever I can remember. And I could be wrong. I haven't seen everything, you know, and there are people way smarter than me and have seen more films and more fanatical than I will ever be. But I'm just very lucky in what I've been able to fall into. But A Nightmare in Elm Street is a great example of that crossing the line hybrid because, yes, it happens primarily at night, but you've got a great amount of daytime scenes and well, it seems. But it's crossing to that dream world, the world where light and dark really don't matter because it's just one big blend. And that's what a lot of these filmmakers are doing with daytime cinema, daytime horror, is they're crossing into it. And I'll go back to Ari Aster with Midsommar. I mean, they're walking through the village, and they see a bear in the cage. And the guy's like, there's a bear in the cage. What's the bear for? And there's things that you just don't realize. And a film like Roman Polanski's uh, The Tenant. You know, you're going through that. You're going through that film and experiencing what that lead character is, that that singular character is going through his psychosis within this building. And we see that with The Invitation. You see that with 1VR. You see that all those films are connected to one character and the, the mental and physical, in some cases, torture and psychosis they're going through. And you're crossing into different areas of film that you won't see any results. And a lot of the daytime horror has become that new playground. And for me, I love 28 Days Later. One of the most impressive scenes I've ever seen is Danny Boyle shutting down London and having Killian Murphy walk through there where it's deserted. And I listened to the commentary. They have, like, they have like hours to get that shot. They were holding traffic back for minutes at time to be able to get that shot. And it's brilliant because it's during the daytime. It's someplace you feel would be safe and full of people and it's not. And it's Terrifying, And it fills you full of dread. And that's what Ari Aster does so well when it comes to Midsummer. He builds that dread because you know nothing is. You're so off balance with everything. It's just insane. Uh, um, Friday the 13th, the POV out in the daytime in the woods. There's a reason why that film is so effective because in the woods during daytime, you feel almost less safe than you do at nighttime in the woods because you can't see what's out there in the shadows in the darkness. But in the daytime, you can and that it makes it so terrifying. And films like Nightmare on Elm Street is that crossover between two. So, Nate, you're right in what you're saying about it, but it's, it's, that's why I love daytime horror, because you can go into so many different films and break it down so much and how effective they use the what light said, and they use the environment with it.
0: Well, with Nighttime War, you can only do claustrophobic horror. But okay. with Daytime War, you can do claustrophobic horror and angrophobic horror. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about Think yeah. about uh, know, like one of my favorites of the decade is A Field in England, and there's almost nothing in this movie but giant, vast shots of a field.
2: Wow, that yeah. sounds terrifying. <laughs>
0: that sounds terrifying. God,
2: that sounds ter- my, one of mine is Gus Van Sant. No, I haven't seen it. And no, says, I'm always looking for recommendations. You know me, Stephen.
1: Oh, you've got to uh, watch *A Field yeah. in and That movie is amazing. Yeah, you've got to okay. watch *A Field I'll check in it England*. Out. It's like a cross yeah, between
0: Alejandro Jodorowsky with uh, magical realism set in the Cromwell. A. Wow, that sounds
2: really intense. Holy crap! If,
0: <laughs>
1: okay, if, if I'll if Joe, check it out. If Joe, if Jodorowsky ate uh, more acid than usual, and made a movie. Uh, he would have made a <laughs> field in England. <laughs> <Mushroom. laughs>
0: okay. there you go, A
1: Field in England is a
0: mushrooms movie. They even have that on the oh poster, man. Oh my god, man! Like man a, maybe that's why I've never of seen
2: it before. That says take a trip.
0: There you go. I'll take your
1: word. I'll
2: take your for Oh my god, that's so funny. That's so funny. Uh, Oh, God. Uh,
1: a couple of movies that I think really make good use of the daytime horror uh aspect Halloween I mean we see Michael Myers in Halloween multiple times before the night falls and he actually goes right. on his killing spree you know right. like that that's a really good one uh for daytime yeah. horror Yeah um yeah. like like Stephen said, yeah, uh, Field in England, an amazing uh, horror film that takes Wicker place Man. mostly mostly during the day. What were you gonna say, Stephen?
0: The Wicker Man, which isn't which Midsummer doesn't exactly. rip off, Wicker.
1: That's and one. Wicker Mall, ah. which is definitely yeah, Wicker Man, which definitely fuels, uh, yeah. What I think a
2: lot of people don't realize is that the daytime horror, maybe not in heavy doses like what Ari Aster has done, but daytime horror has always been there. Because, I mean, we're scared of what's underneath the bed by nature. We're scared of what's in the closet. We're afraid of when the lights go out. But during the daytime in the shower, for example, the lights are on in the shower. You know, Psycho, there's a reason why that scene of Psycho is so successful because there's nothing, you see everything. And that's terrifying when you see everything, and that's more real. You know, when we go through real trauma, we see everything. We're not blind. We see everything that's yeah. going on there, and that's one of the great things about it. But you're right about Halloween, Jaws. I mean, just go to Jaws. How I many? We don't see the, the sharks but it's out in the daylight. Say again. Yeah. The honeymoon. Stephen, what? What was the one you said? But I'm sorry, I, I cut you off. I'm killer. sorry. What was it? Oh, the yeah, yeah, the exactly, right. exactly right, exactly right. Yeah, The honeymoon Cures, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, there's a whole slew. You could go down the list and do what – you could do a favorites list of all daytime horror. Depending on what your criteria is, (laughs) you can put together them with no problem whatsoever, you know? And it could just be moments of it, let alone the entire film. I mean, how terrifying is The Strangers when they're driving away in the morning and their masks are off and they're just normal people out there amongst all of us? And they just did all these terrible things. It's terrifying. It gives me chills up my spine right now, thinking about it.
1: Yeah, if it, I mean, th- yeah, think about like the original Friday the Thirteenth ends in the morning,
2: right? Right, right exactly. The- right
1: comes up, you know, and and mm-hmm. that that's actually that's actually kind of something interesting to uh, to think about. Uh, the end of Friday the Thirteenth. It's it's first thing in the morning. Jason jumps up out of the water. Uh, right. And then think about the end of the original Nightmare on Elm Street. They they right. ride away in the car, which is uh, conspicuously, uh, inconspicuously, or rather, uh, Freddie <laughs> in some version of a car, I guess. I don't know. Well, but well yeah. they always resolve.
2: Guys, they always resolve that the daytime was the safe time when it came to it. You got through the horrors of the night. You got through all these terrible things. Your daytime is your sanctuary, and that's what makes certain films, certain horror films, no matter the decade, more appropriate than others. I mean, you look at the film. Let's look at Scream, for example. No, let's look at Last House on the Left. Last House on the Left, okay? How much of that film is shot in the daytime? I mean, the, the disembowelment scene. I mean, you, you read about the things of how how they you know, traumatized and how they had to take a break after they did that disembowelment scene, but it's done all in the daytime Be- because why? That film yeah. reflects a lot of the terrible times, the, the aspect of the war, and a lot of a lot of a lot of the stuff, man, is just done during the daytime. Even the gritty stuff is done during the daytime. I mean, there's no how like, many. About, um, yeah. with, with Threads. I just watched Threads. How much of that is done during the daytime? I mean, that's yeah. a, a terrifying
0: film. Mm. And plus, how many films like Last House on Your Left would have had the in-shot development showing oh, the, yeah. the bad guys just so disgusted and defeated with themselves? There's just like yeah, nothing left inside of them.
2: Right, exactly right, and, and, and for some it gets worse. What about funny games? I mean, funny games is primarily
0: within doors,
2: but it's well-lit. It's definitely a film that shows you everything, and that's the great thing about horror. That's the thing I love about horror is a great horror movie. You know that nothing good is going to come of it no matter what happens at the end. You know that it is going to be bad the entire time, and there's no way to escape it. And that's the great thing. That's why I love The Strangers so much. Strangers, you know
0: someone it's not going to end well. Uh, yeah. I knew someone that got pissed off at Funny Games because of the remote scene. They said the movie cheated.
2: Really? <laughs> I love Funny <laughs> yeah. Games, man. Funny Games is one of my favorite films of all time.
0: I, I haven't watched it
2: in a while, you know. though. I have to revisit Oh, I do, too. Well, it, it helps. That's the same well, criterion director. Criterion
0: put out you know? the original version, I think, last year. Yes, I got it for Christmas. I got it for Christmas, Stephen. I'm so excited oh, to crack it open. And watch. I'm so
2: excited. Yes, I. It's one of the few. I start to buy more Criterion stuff in the last couple of years because I've I've watched a lot more film commentaries. I've gotten away from watching um, stuff without commentaries because moving more into filmmaking now, guys. And with the, with the new short and, and I, I got – I went back to school at 44 into the film program, and I, I want to be able to understand it more because I want to create stuff that I'm going to enjoy and want to create, not stuff that's just going to be put there for the sake of put there because that's another problem with horror. People put out so much stuff that really is underwhelming, exploitive, and crap. and that's someone who's watched thousands yeah. of movies. I've watched thousands of movies over the years. And I, I can say that honestly, that, that's the problem with it. And that's the reason why people don't respect horror is they really should.
0: Well, most people that try to make a film don't want to learn the crap the, the...
2: Exactly. They'll just pick the up a camera and do whatever the they word, feel know.
0: Like. You know. Yeah. You know
2: and, and that's coming... Stephen, that's coming from someone who made Don't Eat That Days, the 60-second short. A lot of people really like that short. But let's be honest about that. That's me picking up a camera and putting something, trying to put something cohesive together. So that's being honest about that. And I enjoy doing that. I love the people that I did it with. But if I looked at it now, for me, it's not, I've changed so much in the last three, four years when it comes to it and learning and just experiencing different things.
0: Yeah, but I have, I never, ever trust the filmmakers, writers, Opinion of their own work because they. Oh, ah, fair enough. <laughs> fair oh, enough, like, dude. Oh, You're I right. Yeah. Done another 20 shot. Well, done we're our toughest critics. We're
2: our toughest critics. So, you know, Nate, do you do you trust the filmmakers like and writers and, and
0: all that? And they're like, like they're yeah, That's all like well, for, comedians. For comedians,
2: like, it's fodder for you guys audience. to make fun of them.
0: Right,
1: Nate. I don't know. You two were talking over each other, but I know goddamn (laughs) well. What I like about you, Nate, is
0: comedians
1: are like,
2: "Fuck the audience. I was good. They were
0: bad."
1: There you go. Yeah, yeah. But I do. Um, I. It's funny being like a you know forty-eight year old man who has been a successful musician and stand up comedian and filmmaker, et cetera, et cetera. I I still have a really thin skin. Like if somebody looks at something that I did or listens to something that I did and they don't like it, it does hurt my feelings. Like I you know, I feel like I put my heart and soul into something and then someone talks crap about me on the internet. I I do it it does hurt my feelings, uh, you know, uh, and I, that's kind of a rough thing to reconcile with. You know, I mean, I'm married to a beautiful, successful woman and my day job, I, I'm very successful at my day job. So right. I kind of feel like, you know, I mean, we have a nice house, we have cars and, you know, money in the bank and all the toys that we would ever want. Uh you know, I, I don't feel like I'm wanting for anything in this life. We have families and friends, and, you know, everything seems like it's going well, but all I need is one negative comment on the internet, and then I'm like, hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah. I can understand. Life, hey, you know, you're welcome use
0: that again uh, next time you ask for a new toy or something.
1: Hmm. I'm a- Upset with my wife right I'm only upset with my wife right now because she wants to sleep with you, Stephen.
2: Oh boy! Wow! I think I think I think oh, we need Jerry Springer right in now.
0: <laughs> no, no, nope. no, I'm just flat. Wow.
1: Jay, I don't need I don't need you to Jerry Springer this. I need you to Maury this and make sure that Steven is not the father.
2: Wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> I don't think I'm into that kind of cinema, but okay. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely – uh,
0: uh,
2: I will say it's the first time, time I've ever pass, been asked to do that.
0: baseball camp <laughs> and bo mullet. There <laughs> you
2: go. Oh, Wow. Oh, guys. Guys, this has been great, man. I I appreciate the time talking about some of the best horror and talking about the digging into the darkness. If I may say, you know, it's coming up starting uh, the first Sunday, or I should say February 21st, that Sunday, for five weeks in a row, uh, all Sundays, 7 p.m. for an hour on the East Coast. And you guys can go register at MontclairFilm.org. It's a small fee to join for the five sessions, and it's well worth it because we have a lot of great, very creative people and great people revolving around the films which are going to be announcing, including Dark Light with Tad Ray Reynolds. Excuse me. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a great time, but, you know, you guys have been fantastic. I've loved having this conversation.
0: Oh, we love having you. And if you go there, you want to have someone go. You're stupid for having that opinion. I'm like 99% of the other forums on the net.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, keep
0: having those opinions
2: because you know what? We all, we, know what? we can't all like the same thing and hate the same thing. Otherwise, it, horror would be really, really boring. So that's the great thing about horror in cinema is that we, we're so uh, diverse in our opinions. And again, that's another reason why I did Digging Into the Darkness with Montclair Film because we want those different opinions and questions. You know, come to join the session and be a part of that. And, uh, you know, like you hear here with you guys. So I appreciate so much and keep up those opinions.
0: Okay. Thank you very much for being on the show. And uh, what's the name of your short film, and where can we go see it online? Or is it available? Well, it's not online yet. Easily. Even, it's not
2: available yet. It's going to be playing festivals. It's going to be playing festivals, I hope, in 2021. Oh, the old one the old one. Oh, well the new one's within the frame. That one will be out twenty twenty one. The old one is Donia Daves, and I'll tell you something. It's coming out as part of the compilation, Sixty Seconds to Die, part three. You can pre order it on Amazon now, uh, on DVD. And it comes out March sixteenth, and it's a collection of very talented filmmakers from all walks of life, all different favorite genres of horror, and Donia Daves is one of those sixty second shorts. And uh, Tony um, – wow, I forgot Tony's name. <laughs> Tony, we'll, we'll go with Tony. Um, Tony of uh, the UK B. is horror? the producer on it. No, oh, okay. no. I, you know, let me say – hold on a second. I can't believe I forgot Tony's last name. Let me look it up real quick. But he put this together, and he does a lot of different anthologies um, when it comes to really short-form horror. And 60 Seconds to Die has three of them right now. And it's really incredible how these filmmakers are able to put together um, these different shorts. Tony Newton, thank you. T- Tony Newton out of the U.K. You know, these, these 60 Seconds to Die anthologies are all micro 60-second shorts. And the first two were out on Amazon, on VOD, as well as DVD. And I was lucky enough to be on the first one with Death by Broadcasting, which is, which is far worse than uh, Don't Eat a Dave's. But it's a lot of fun. And now the third volume of it, guys, is going to be on Amazon March 16th. Probably VOD as well and DVD, but you can pre-order it now and check it out. And then once that's out, you know, hopefully they'll Delia Dave's will be up on YouTube or, or Vimeo soon, you know, to be out there. Because I've had to wait years for this anthology to come out before I'm going to release it. But, Stephen, thank you for uh, allowing me to uh, mention that. I appreciate that, man.
0: Okay. And thank you very much for being on and have a good rest of the night.
2: Well, thank yeah. you guys very much, and I appreciate it. And keep watching Great Horror Guys, and as always, Pleasant Nightmares.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Thanks, Jay.
0: Okay, Nate, now we're going to talk about what some of the ones you're looking for. There, well, there's one that we're definitely looking for, and that's uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Oh I wasn't as yeah. good at the first King Kong movie. I didn't like the two Godzilla films, but the King Kong one I actually seen on the big screen and I was like, Yes, this is actually fun.
1: Yeah. Um King Kong versus Godzilla is my absolute favorite Godzilla movie from uh from back in the day. Um you know the actual like goofy 60s version of King Kong versus Godzilla was always my favorite so when they announced that they were going to do the remake and Adam Wingard is going to direct it um he's Ooh. kind of a he he's kind of a you know hit or miss for me with his films but um yeah, I'm really looking forward to Godzilla versus King Kong. That is definitely on my list and it uh, just from the the teaser trailers, I mean, it looks like it's going to be awesome. I don't know for sure, but it's definitely on my list for this year. So, and they say there's
0: going to be a winner. They say there's going to be a winner this time and I got my money bet on the monkey.
1: Yeah, right? Well, Remember the big um, the big thing about uh, I, I don't know if this is true or not. This might just be a myth. But they say that when they screened King Kong versus Godzilla, the original version, that each version that they showed, the one that they showed in America versus the one that they showed overseas, that Godzilla won on one hand, and King Kong won on the other hand. I no, don't...
0: that was that, all yeah. bullshit, because uh, Toho wanted to keep, continue doing Godzilla films, so they couldn't have King Kong kill, beat Godzilla. And they also had right. the right to do two more Kong films, which they did. So they couldn't have Godzilla kill, beat King Kong.
1: They would back themselves
0: into that corner.
1: Well, I never really felt like like King Kong or Godzilla got killed. I just felt like the fight was over. Yeah,
0: it was a tie. It was like a regular bar fight. They beat the crap out of each other for 20 minutes and just walked out.
1: Yeah. I've seen enough episodes of Letter Kenny to know that you can punch someone in the face and they'll still be back next week. I mean, I don't know, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I'm pretty excited for that one. Um, yeah, that's definitely on hmm. my to do. So, uh, what else? What else you got? What else are you excited about well, for next year? Definitely,
0: we we'll- Well, for both of us, Dune. Definitely Dune. God. I hope it's as good as the trailer comes out. I mean, I love the fact that they used Now and Then by Pink Floyd.
1: That
0: was a perfect choice. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I I am really excited for Dune. And, you know, um, the thing about it is I'm a huge David Lynch fan, and I – I even like his version of Dune. Uh, I know that it's divisive, and I know that a lot of people don't like it, and he himself has stepped away. Like, if you get a copy of Dune, it's most likely to be directed by, uh, you know, what's his face? If you get the
0: two-hour cut, it's directed by David Lynch. If you get the three-hour-plus cut, it's directed by Alan Smithy.
1: Yeah, Alan Smithy. Yeah, exactly. So um I'm excited to see this one though because um I do I I do like um uh Dennis I can't pronounce his name because I'm from New Jersey, but Dennis Villeneuve, <laughs> I, I I I don't know how to say his name. But uh but no, I I've liked a lot of his a lot of his films. Um so uh, I think I do still think that Dune is probably going to be a very difficult mountain to climb, but it looks like it's going to be good and he does have a really good eye. I, I think that was one of the big problems with the David Lynch version is that David Lynch, um, David Lynch feels more like an Alfred Hitchcock to me. He can focus on tiny details and really, um, like Blue Velvet is one of my favorite films of all time. I think David Lynch yeah. can. Fo- David Lynch can focus in on really tight details. I don't think that yeah. science fiction. Science fiction was never something he should have tried to tackle. Well,
0: the word's but. always been that uh, David Lynch did a five-hour cut of Dune, that everyone who watched it said it was a masterpiece. But the problem was, is Raffaella DeLorientis would not release it. So he had him cut it down to the two-hour version. And, and cause of the whole mess of Dune was him going, fuck this, this big-budget crap. I want to make a full-budget film under a million dollars using the actors from Dune and making the movie I want to make.
1: Right? Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I think that was a mess, but... You know... It could have because been even crazier. The worst he's doing would
0: have been seven hours.
1: Yeah. It could have been even crazier, because you know as well as I do that at the same time he was offered a chance to return of the Jedi. Can you imagine a David Lynch version of Return of the Jedi. I mean...
0: I don't know which one would have been more insane, David Lynch version of Return of the Jedi or the David Cronenberg.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I forgot Cronenberg was in the running as well. Yeah.
0: but Uh, The TV version of it with... uh... That came out in the 90s I didn't like It was too orange Too cheap and just ugly Looking all around Mm
1: -hmm. Right Now But this version of Dune Has a good chance Because like I said Again I'm horrible At French but uh, Denis Villeneuve (laughs) I don't know How to say his name but uh well,
0: his cut's gonna be six hours, two three hour movies.
1: Yeah. Right. Well that's the way that Hollywood is going nowadays. They I mean they cut all movies in half, but I think his version well, will be good. You know. Yeah. Um, well
0: if you've read Dune it's a very, 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 very dense book.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, yeah, I have a copy of it and I have read it multiple times. Yeah, it's a, it's a dense, thick book, but I really like, uh, I really like uh, Vilniov's version, uh, Prisoners, uh, his movie Prisoners. I think that if you look at Prisoners, you can see that he has the technical detail to, Put on a spectacle like Dune. Um, yeah, and, you know I I know this seems kind of like a leap of faith, but if you watch Prisoners, which I think is his best film of all the movies that he's done, I think if you watch Prisoners, you can see that he has a a real nice eye for not only detail but background effects and uh, lighting and you know there's a technique there that he has already perfected and this movie's what when did prisoners come out 2012 2013 yeah. I'm, that yeah. movie was was a long time ago so i think i think he can nail it i i think he can nail it and like you said if he's breaking it up into two different films uh which is the like i said which is the you know, the, nor- the new normal for for films of a longer length. I, I think he can do it. I- I'm looking forward to Dune. Dune is my yeah, number five. the biggest five.
0: problems I had with uh, David Lynch Dune is Faye Rousa supposed to be Paul's main rival in the movie, and he vanishes for maybe 45, 50 minutes of the freaking movie. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, like like we were saying before, though, you know, David Lynch will be the first one to tell you that, yeah, okay, so he he put in a six-hour cut of the film, and the studio was like, nope. So then he put in a four-hour cut of the film, and they were still like, nope. And, I mean, it came down to the point where – you know, as well as I do, and maybe some of our listeners know as well, that they had yeah. to put out a glossary of terms so that people who were coming to see the film could understand what was going on. And okay. I was talking to Abby about this.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah,
1: I was talking to Abby about this the other night, and she was like, "No one goes to the movies to read a friggin book." And I was like, I'm... I know. Yep.
0: Telling all those yeah. people is paying around 50 to to 100 bucks for that program.
1: Yeah, right? Yeah. I don't know.
0: But, yeah, let's see. Dune's program's up there. Uh, definitely, I think the most expensive was the original 70 millimeter showings of uh, Apocalypse Now for 1979,
1: the road show engaged. Yeah, the roadshow version of the Hateful Eight booklet is getting pretty expensive. So, uh, what did you get me for Christmas, Stephen? The eBay ones I've
0: seen are just eight bucks. Oh,
1: only eight dollars? Yeah. So, what did you get me for Christmas, Stephen? Same thing he got you last year.
0: Same
1: thing he got me last year. Yeah. So And the same thing your uh,
0: in-law got you for Christmas.
1: Oh, ouch. That hurt. (laughs) 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 Uh,
0: Yeah, I mean, the problem with this year is most of the bigger films are going to be films that we were supposed to see last year.
1: Yeah. Hmm.
0: So, I like guess the box office Wonder Woman uh, eighty four is officially a flop. I think it was number one at the box office, but I think it only made like eight hundred thousand.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I didn't really. I don't really care for it anyway. I mean, uh I I watched I watched the Marvel uh the Marvel movies and I watched some of the DC movies, but I got exhausted mm. by it. I mean, I'm I'm already tired of the Star Wars universe at this point. It's like I get what they're going for, but all this stuff is just too much for me at this, you know, I mean, come on, man. I'm so almost they, 50. They
0: got old. like 23, I think they got like 16 shows they announced before Christmas.
1: Yeah, yeah. They were saying there's going the to be a bunch shows. The Palpatine show,
0: thing. the Boba Fett show, uh, the Oscar show, uh, Rogue One.
1: Yeah. It's, it's tiring, and it makes me feel sad because, you know, like, when I was growing up, the only things I cared about were Star Wars and G.I. Joe, and that was it. Like, I was not a kid who was just obsessive about anything. I liked Star Wars and G.I. Joe, and now... I'm at the point in my life where I'm like, can Star Wars just go away? Please, can Star Wars just go away now? I don't want any more Star Wars in my life. And my brother-in-law is like, nope, all the Star Wars all the time. I want as much Star Wars as you can give me. And I'm like, okay, I guess. I mean, that's, that's your deal, but You're no, great. I'm exhausted yeah. by it. I'm exhausted by it man I know it's one of
0: those There's too much Product But speaking of David Lynch One of my most wanted titles Ever since DVD Two of my most wanted titles Ever since DVD started Has came on And I've been like oh boy oh boy I've been waiting for these And then when Severin announced them I was like "Ah! Holy shit And that's Alex D'Iglesias' Day of the Beast, which is one of the best Christmas movies ever. (laughs) Right? If you haven't seen it, it's about a priest who finds out that the Antichrist is going to be born. So he has to go out and sin so he can be accepted by the devil so he can get close to the Antichrist so he can kill him. So he uses a heavy metal guy and a TV psychic to help him.
1: Uh, yes. Well, of course, I have seen Day of the Beast. Uh, yeah. Yeah, That that's one of those movies that leans into the weird uh, nebulous that you and I uh, occupy. Uh, it's not for everyone, but, yeah, it, if if you like Z-grade movies with uh, strange uh, strange logic and gore, then yes, for, by all means, please, watch Day of the Beast. And
0: speaking of Day of the Beast, David Lynch, uh, he did a book, his only, re- his second book adaption, which he did in the 80s, was part of a larger series of books. you know what those series were? No. The Sailor and Lula books by Crank Griffith. He did about three or four of them, and David Lynch adapted like the second or third of them, which was Wild at Heart. Mm. Wild at
1: Heart is one of my favorite David Lynch movies I love that movie
0: and there was a prequel to it featuring the character played by Isabella Rossellini called Perdita Durango which is finally coming out in the US uncut
1: you mentioned
0: yeah go ahead
1: oh no I was gonna I, I was gonna let you go I, I you mentioned that to me the other day and I had totally forgotten about that movie. And it it's a masterpiece. Go on. Say say what you wanna say about it because
0: And this is gonna be the first US release that's uncut. Yes, there was violence and war cut out, but that's not the half biggest pain in the ass point. There are fifteen minutes that were missing from the end of the movie because Columbia would not give them the rights to use the footage from from Veracruz with uh, the guy from High Noon. Cool. And I forget his name, but you know what's him talking about well, you know the part I'm talking about where he's uh uh it has uh the main bad guy tripping and uh watching Vera Cruz on the screen and he keeps seeing uh him uh, all through the last bit of the movie.
1: <laughs> right? No. Yeah. I don't remember. Harvey and Javier Bardeen is what I'm thinking of.
0: This was Javier Bardeen's first film, and he's so good in this. In a way, yeah. you can say Javier Bardeen's character, in Bernita Durango, is like an older version, is a younger version of the character for No Country for Old
1: Men. Yep. That, that is true. I would agree with that. Yep.
0: And it has a lot of the characters from the first film. I think it has Sailor and Lou. Sailor in it as a cameo. I know it has Santos de Santos and Perdita Durango. And, hey, these characters mentioned Wild at Heart. He's like, hey, what yep. happened to that voodoo guy you was hooked up with? Oh, he got killed. I still miss him. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That movie stands Ew. alone uh that movie stands alone from from Wild at Heart but yeah it does have some connections in and of itself it's it's a really interesting film it, it it's one of those movies that came around you know like when you look back over the landscape of 90s gangster films that really you know were launched from the uh Reservoir Dogs pulp fiction era huh you didn't yeah. think you were going to get you, you didn't think you were going to get out of a podcast with me without me mentioning Quentin Tarantino do you no uh, no you, no <laughs> it was a
0: perfect analogy yeah
1: yeah it, it, this it's is definitely one of, those, one of you know, those
0: that was a spawn of Tarantino. That this one is good, and it didn't yeah use the gangster technique, but it didn't try to rip anything off from Tarantino.
1: No, except no. Except for maybe
0: screaming, Jay Hawkins is a voodoo priest. Right.
1: Yeah, you know the, I, You know, I, I make fun all the time, but. Like there are a lot of films that came out in the wake of Tarantino's success oh, sure. that that I that I enjoy, you know. Like I don't think The Usual Suspects ripped off Tarantino. I think um, I think a lot First of these I rip movies. let
0: say I'm talking uh, Love in the '45, Trooper Consequences, New Mexico, Destiny yeah. turns on the radio.
1: Destiny Romeo turns on the radio had destiny turns on the radio had Tarantino in it as an actor <laughs> I know ironic
0: he was an actor in a rip off of his own book and his own style two
1: two days in the valley like yeah like those those movies are rip off but but yeah, the no, but you're right, that's not what we're talking about now. We're talking about movies that were inspired by Tarantino's success that actually did not rip him off directly. And Perdido Durango was one of them. And actually, um, you mentioned that I have, there was a, uh, a graphic novel that was uh, based on that story. And I have the graphic novel of it. It, it, It's really neat, actually. It's a cool cool little graphic novel. But, um, yeah, Perdita Durango was not a ripoff of Tarantino, but it definitely, the film was made because of the success of Tarantino in the early 90s. So, uh, yeah.
0: And uh, Alex uh, called David Lynch before he made uh, Perdita Durango and said, are you going to be using any other any other Gifford's books to make movies like a sequel to Wild at Heart? Go ahead. <clears throat> who who directed that again? Who, who was it that Alex directed Diaglacia. that? Alex Oh. Oh. For some well, reason, I thought it was out. What respect is that? That you know, that's a level of respect you sometimes don't see nowadays.
1: Yeah, right? No one calls Steven Spielberg to ask if they can make another Jurassic Park movie.
0: Or, of course, James Not, Cameron.
1: Yeah, James Cameron. Not like we need another movie by Steven Spielberg or James Cameron, but anyway... Um
0: uh, but yeah, we could do a whole show on that on bad Tarantino Ripoff Love yeah. Forty Five was just just bad. What's another you one know, that you're it. looking forward to this year?
1: Um, I'm really intrigued by Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh-huh. Um, I I I don't know, man. Like. There's so little I'm hoping
0: it's
1: decent. Yeah, there's so little floating around about it, but it's a Bloomhouse production and I really like most of the movies that Bloomhouse puts out. And Jason Reitman is attached to it. Uh so yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's not a lot I can say about it, but you know, you know as much and about wasn't it as I. was one of those
0: that was uh, ass hurt by Girlbusters when it came out. I thought it was okay. Kristen Wiig was good. Everyone else was just doing their same old characters. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I didn't. It didn't hurt my feelings that they did an all-female Ghostbusters. That that didn't hurt my feelings at all. But it wasn't the ghostbusters movie that i wanted this one looks like it might be the ghostbusters the third ghostbusters movie that i wanted but yeah uh, but i i don't know but it looks really cool just just the way that it you know all i've got so far is a teaser trailer um I like Jason Reitman. All He's I know is
0: that a- those kids are uh, Egon's uh, grandkids.
1: Right, right. So yeah, to they deal with Harold dad. Right. I think they're. I think they're trying to like jump over the. Um, I think they're trying to jump over the all-female Ghostbusters reboot, which again, like you said. It didn't bother me at all. Uh, I was fine with that. But this one looks I like I've
0: never it. had my life ruined or a childhood ruined by a movie.
1: Yeah, exactly. I know. What What the fuck is up with these people who are like, "You ruined my childhood." Like it's Star Wars, dude. Calm down. Just like, Just take a I break. I had a
0: shitty childhood
1: if a single movie, single
0: movie, or blah blah blah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah If your entire childhood was ruined By the Phantom Menace Then your childhood was already Kind of shitty Just fucking chill, dude Yeah <laughs> I want to go to their
0: houses with a gun And if they say I'll fucking hate you, man I'll point out and say Okay, motherfucker Give me your copy of John Carpenter's the ring and the idiot's wall Right now
1: You know <laughs> Yeah
0: <you know. laughs>
1: But the the re- w- one of the main reasons why I am excited about uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife is because not only I I do like Jason Reitman's films, but um, yeah, they've, uh he's got oh okay, well, Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things is the star. He's also got Paul Rudd, Bill Murray, uh, uh
0: Everybody's still alive. Uh,
1: Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, Annie Potts. Yeah. yeah. I mean they've got most of the cast from the original uh yeah, Ghostbusters in it, so. the who's
0: retired.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. We'll we'll see. it, it like I said, it's it's this all we're talking about tonight is the movies that we're anticipating the most. I'm not promising it's gonna be good, but uh, I'm anticipating it, so
0: well I'm know. promising that for Durango and uh Day of the Wolf uh Day of the Beast are good.
1: Well yeah, but They're those wacky are easy as movies. hell but
0: Yeah. Yeah, I wish I could say these weren't the first time that they've been out for us to get.
1: Right. All right. So, what do you got? What 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 are you anticipating that you have not yet seen? What do you got? Uh,
0: well, paint Mod, of course. But we've been waiting for that one for a while.
1: Right,
0: uh, the one from the guy who did the lighthouse and the Witch Robert Eggers knew one about Viking,
1: yeah I like I like the lighthouse.
0: I trust,
1: oh, I liked the lighthouse a lot that that was really good. I didn't know he had a new movie coming out this year. Yeah, Tell he has about a it. shot
0: and already done. And he's editing. It's a it's about Viking. That's all it's known. <laughs> it's shot. It's done. It's about Viking, and Robert Eggers. So that's it's that's all be bizarre you bizarre as hell. Yeah, that's all that you believe. released. Huh. All right. That's the problem A lot of filmmakers probably have films done and done But they're playing it And the studios are too They're playing it close to their vest Yeah
1: Well, you know We have to consider that a lot of uh, studios Are probably still trying to figure out Whether or not we're going to be able to go to the theaters again next year Which we should be able to Again Uh, I mentioned last week, my wife has already gotten her uh, COVID shots. So we should all be getting our COVID shots within the next few months. So we should all be able to go out and go to the theaters again soon. But I think a lot. uh, Yeah, I know that's, that's what, that was part of what we were going to talk about tonight is, how much we can't wait to get back out yeah. to the theaters.
0: Yeah. I'll but. be like, talking, you will know, be like, I'm going to the Central Cinema tonight. Wait, what's playing? Cats don't dance.
1: <laughs> what the
0: hell are you talking about? That movie sucks. <laughs> yeah, but it's on the big screen. The role. <laughs> <Ooh.
1: laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't care if it's good or not. I just want to go see it in the theater. Yeah. Um, there's
0: a lot of films that are gonna benefit from that once this shit dies down. Right. All right, well oh, and of course there's that book that we're waiting for this year.
1: What's that? What book are you waiting for this year?
0: Once upon a time in Hollywood.
1: Oh, once upon, novel time? Version. <laughs> Once upon a time in Hollywood. That sounds terrible. I don't even know why anyone would bother with that bullshit. And I've read his scripts before. I hope so. I feel bad for his
0: editor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's one of those that's like. I say to myself, oh, my God, my grammar is horrible. I've got the worst grammar ever. And then I go look <laughs> at a Tarantino script. I'm like, holy shit, I'm not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I love the words, but boring is bad as grammar. <laughs> and he can't spell.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> no I know It's like it's like, As a cinephile We all know Quentin Tarantino is my favorite director But as a Professional writer And someone who can speak Coherently while drunk Tripping on mushrooms and smoking Weed I am very Disappointed in his Inability to write Coherently that 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 just doesn't <laughs> seem fair.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh all right, well, well with about five um,
0: seconds to go. That was a that was a quick show. We gotta thank again to JK for coming telling us about his projects and talking to us. That was a good show. That
1: was fun. That was fun. I hope he'll I hope he'll come back and join us again sometime. Um my number one Movie that I want to see this year, *The French Dispatch* by Wes Anderson, which got pushed back because all the studios closed, uh, theaters honky. closed. But honky, what's your what's your number
0: one? No, I'm calling you a honky because there's no one that makes wider movies than Wes Anderson.
1: Oh well, I don't mind that.
0: The I mean, it, They put a Wes Anderson film in the middle of a blizzard and stepped two feet away, and they lost it. They're that white.
1: <laughs> well, what? so what am I supposed to call you, the N-word? You're white, too, honky.
0: No, I'm a stick. I'm a dirty, thick, <laughs> wet fat.
1: <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot. I always forget that you're Hispanic. You don't you don't come across as Hispanic.
0: No, I come across as
1: Tennessean. <laughs> <laughs> and yes that
0: means I have to like everything Robert Rodriguez directs no matter what. Yeah,
1: and that's and that's why we come together so well because I hate most of the things that Robert Rodriguez directs, so that's why oh, we I need to be too. here.
0: I like his yeah. R-rated action films, and it pisses me off, and he's like, oh, I'm going to make a PG-10 film. No, I'm going to go make some motherfuckers killing each other, get some of <clears a> the <throat> machetes. Wait, like, no, don't let the person who wrote the first machete make it, not you. Yeah.
1: That new movie that he has out looks just absolutely terrible. It just showed up on Netflix or Amazon the other day. I don't remember. I've never been a
0: fan of his kitty movies. Nope. Nope.
1: Nope. All right.
0: And with that, good night. Stay sane, America. And see you next week.
1: Yes. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, wash your hands, wear a mask. We'll see you next week.